coffee lovers, and welcome to the God Country Live Video Podcast. Every every Friday evening at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And now, live from Seguin, Texas, and other places around the world, your host, Jose Roberto Alaniz Jr. No, it's not. Hello, coffee lovers. <laughs> Jose, third day coffee, Seguin. It's 1900. It's Friday night, and it's time for God Country Coffee. And I've been doing this for two years, and never once have I laughed. <laughs> See what happens when when you bring the boss in the house. Uh, I'm gonna pull out my phone because I need to see comments uh, because we don't have anything else um, that's uh, for me to see who's commenting or whatever. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, I thank God for all the blessings that uh, that Connie and I and our families have, um, the business, the jobs, everything. God just continually blesses us, and I didn't always understand it, and we'll talk about that tonight. Um, it's episode seven, and in the in the uh, explanation for the uh, for the live tonight, one of the things I looked up is how many times is the number seven. In the Bible, it's over 700 times, so it's a pretty significant number. And I'm not even going to get into all the different reasons why that's a significant number, except that it's episode seven, and I get to have Connie on with me tonight. And she said that I was going to talk, but I'm not. I'm going to talk for a little while, and then she's going to take the the rest of the time and talk. But I do have to pull this up because I want to make sure that I don't miss any comments. And uh, there we go. Okay, so I'm already laughing. Perfect. Okay. All right. So, so we have some, uh, I, like I always do, I always tell everybody, if you watch the show, um, <clears throat> it's God first always, and then country and then coffee and not those two are not always in that order. But if you don't have your own copy and you want a Bible or you're asking questions, you're not sure. Or if you know somebody that needs a Bible. Or if you know somebody that needs a Bible. We will send you one. I buy these things by the case. I love giving them out. Um, I love when people walk up to us when we do live events and say, Are you guys a church? Like, we are the church, but we're not a church. So anyway, we, we do Bibles uh, for my military folks and first responders. Uh, one of my previous guests, Virginia Cruz, she writes this book called Soldier's Guide to PTSD. And I still have a couple of these, and I'm willing to send these to you as well if you need. And then the other thing is uh, it's always good to have some sort of a daily routine with your with your um, Bible study. Um, not only should we be tithing financially, but we should be tithing our time. And sometimes we tithe our time and our money, and sometimes we just get to the, to the time part. And I think God understands all that. Um, one of the books I use daily is called My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. It was written over 100 years ago. Uh, he died of the Spanish flu in the early, uh, I think, during World War I. Um, and it's amazing because we'll go, th it's done by day. So every day is a different uh, verse, Bible verse, and, and a commentary. And it's 100 and some years later. And it just seems like some of these things hit so hard as if he wrote them for me. Uh, but that's how God works. He's timeless. He lives outside of our idea of time. So without further ado, 
I get to introduce household six. For those of you that don't know what that means, it's a military term. We use six as the commanding officer. And so we, uh, we, I call my wife household six, not to her face because she might hit me, but that's the redhead in her. Um, All kidding aside, biblically, my responsibility is I've been given stewardship over our home. I'm supposed to be the leader of our family. I'm supposed to be the priest of our family. I'm supposed to take care of that part of our relationship. And Connie's supposed to be my helpmate, and she's a much better helpmate than I probably deserve. Um, But God does these things on purpose. And so um, it wasn't until I understood that that was my place and took that stewardship seriously, uh, we didn't do well for a long time. And so um, I want to thank God for all the blessings that he does. And I'm just going to pray us in real quick, and then we'll we'll get into our story. Father, we just come to you. I hope that our words glorify your name. Someone that needs to hear our story uh, can hear the things that you've done in our lives. We thank you for all the blessings. We thank you for everything that you do. And I pray that we glorify you in all that we do. These things we ask in your holy person in Christ Jesus. Amen. So, Connie Rhodes Alanis. I'm going to let her introduce herself, where she's from, uh, where she grew up, and when she got saved. Well, I think, first of all, I'm probably the most boring person on the planet. I'll tell you right now, uh, like this is going to be past my bedtime by the time this interview is over because (laughs) if it's dark, it's time for bed. Um, I'm from Abilene, Texas, uh, originally. I've actually lived in the San Antonio area longer than I lived in Abilene. Um, What else did you ask me? Uh, talk about a little bit how you grew up and when you got saved. Oh, well, um, I was saved when I was seven. I remember it. That's one of those things that never really goes away. Um, why are you playing the interview as we're doing I'm it. trying to look at the comments. Oh, because People, I can hear myself talking. I know. I know that it's in my hearing aids. I'm sorry. I'm trying to, folks, I'm going to try to keep up with the comments. I don't know how I'm going to do it uh, in a way that doesn't confuse both me and Connie. So, so we're just going to, those of you who are watching, Tony. Be patient. Um, yeah. Mike, uh, anyway, uh, Michael, uh, thanks for tuning in. Tony Fuentes, I saw. I know there's some other folks that are watching. And if I don't call you by name, I apologize. But um, it's kind of hard when we're doing it like this and, and we've been doing the podcast like this for a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, that things are going to change. We're, we're growing. And right now I just, I, Connie hasn't told me how to fix the we're chaos that I we're have. So we're working on that. So anyway, my mom was a Sunday school teacher. So I grew up hearing Bible stories as bedtime stories. Um, I had no clue who Beauty and the Beast or Cinderella or anything like that, but I knew Daniel and I knew David and 
Moses and I, I knew all that. So um, I was saved early. I don't think, I mean, I understood that Christ died to take my sin, but at seven, you really don't have a grasp of the gravity of your sin. Um, that didn't happen until later. I had a relationship with Christ. Um, I just didn't quite get it until later in life. Um, and what Jr. said about um, not doing well in marriage until he took his place as leader. And I'm very old fashioned, you know, I believe that um, he is the head of the household. Um, and until he took that role and responsibility, and that's a big responsibility, um, until he took that role, I didn't respect him at all. Um, and in turn, he didn't respect me either. And it was a very destructive path that we were on. I Sometimes I wonder how we made it at all, but then I realized that we, were, we are in Christ's hands and he has a plan that we don't even know. And we don't have to know. We just have to listen to him and trust him and let him do what he's going to do with our lives and we need to allow him to use us. Um, we've had some pretty, pretty dark times together. <laughs> Before we get there, I, I do want to say, so Connie grew up Baptist mm -hmm. um, and she got saved at a very young age. I grew up Catholic and I have nothing negative to say. It's an incredible foundation that I had from which my faith is drawn on today. My mother, my father made sure we had that. We went to church. I, unlike Connie... I thought this was about me. Well, it's about both of us. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> probably going to be the most downloaded episode yet. Uh, I grew up Catholic, and I grew up in church, not in Christ. So one of the things that when we met, and we'll talk about that because it's hilarious, um, is that I was playing guitar at Catholic service and Connie and the girls were used to going to a more active, um, at the end of the day, they weren't being fed and I could, I could tell. Well, I was glad that you had some foundation, but it was so quiet in there. <laughs> and there was a lot of repeating, it was a lot of ritual that I wasn't used to. Um, yeah. But I came from a fire and brimstone background. And um, a lot of my uh, resistance to sin came from fear. <laughs> I was afraid I was going to be struck down by lightning. And that's, I mean, you know, kept me out of trouble as a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> it did. Um so I'm going to let her tell the story about how we met because uh, she says that I don't tell it right, even though I know that, you know. Which part? Her story's not 100% accurate. So, so <laughs> let's talk about how we initially met. Connie and I have been married for 19 years. 
Uh, it'll be 20 this coming year. 19. 19 long. No. Huh? Oh, yeah, it will be 20 years. Time flies. Yeah, it does. And I, I want to say this early on so that as we start talking, you'll understand for probably the first 12 or 13 years of our marriage, life pretty much sucked for both of us. Yeah. It was rough. Had the first six to eight months of that new wedding, you know, marriage, whatever you want to call it. And then after that, it just took a nosedive and it stayed underwater for more than a decade. Yeah. So just take that into consideration when you listen to this podcast or if you're watching, understand that we had to go through a whole lot to get to where God started blessing us. And uh, and so anyway, I'm going to let her tell you how, how we met because it's pretty funny. How did we meet? You don't. Are you kidding me? No. I, so I, what happened I, was. <laughs> I know how we met. Well. It was a long time ago before. All those. <laughs> so I have it a, was back in the old days when computers were really big. <laughs> and yep. there was a thing on Yahoo. Um, where you could, it was like singles, but not really because you didn't pay for it. And it wasn't really great. And it wasn't an app. It wasn't an app. It was just part of you Yahoo. You had to do dial up. Yeah. But I, you could see your friends or whatever and people. And I just, I saw his picture on something on a profile and I sent him a message. He had a picture of him and a horse. And I was like, hey, I live near you or whatever. And uh, I didn't hear anything after that. It was <laughs> like, gosh, you know. So anyway, I went about my life. And just so you know, I did respond when I saw the message. Almost immediately when I saw it. Oh, yeah. A year later. But it was six months later. Okay. It six was six months. months. So felt, a, felt like a year. A friend of mine, Frank, he worked for UPS. <clears throat> he got divorced. He moved in with me because I was divorced. Um, and we I were, was divorced. We, she, was, she was divorced. We were sharing expenses. Well, Frank, right after 9-11, got deployed. Uh, he got orders, got called up, and he had to leave. And so... Before he left, he got on my computer because he was computer savvy and he set up this profile on Yahoo and he took a picture I had and he put, posted it. And six months later, I get a phone call. He says, hey, man, I'm at the airport. Can you come get me? I said, yeah, uh, I didn't know you were coming. He goes, well, I sent you an email. I'm like, what? So at that time, which was, you know, I don't know, 15 hey, years uh no, we've been married almost 20 years now. Oh, so yeah. it was uh, 90. I can't do math. I don't know. Five o'clock. It was a long time ago. And Frank, I went to pick him up at at at, uh, at Lackland and I brought him home. And he's like, bro, he says, uh, did I do something to make you mad or whatever? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, I sent you emails all the time and you never responded. And I'm like, Dude, I don't, I don't even know how to log into that that thing. So, so Frank went over and he logged on and uh, all the emails that he had been sending me. And he's like, hey, man, this girl wants to, you know, she, she said something. I was like, I, I don't know anybody. I've, I don't even know what my email address is. How Nobody knows me on the computer. 
And so at that time it was very different. And, uh, and so, you know, this beautiful redhead and I'm like, Oh, I send her something, man. Tell her I want to, you know, and I think we had a conversation that was a basically, look, I don't do this thing. If you want to meet somewhere, let's go meet. And so I think our first date was actually a Spurs game at her house with pizza and the girls. Yeah. Yeah. So I came over and we had pizza we watched the game and I left. And over the next, oh, I don't know, four or five years, mm-hmm. we were back and forth. She was dating somebody or I was dating somebody or, uh, but, but we stayed in touch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I lost my house um, and I went to work in Houston. And I think that I started going to church. After I got divorced, I started going to church and I was playing guitar at church. And that's when we kind of rekindled, like we finally were both single. And -hmm. I came over for another Spurs game. Mm -hmm. And then she tells the story that I came over the following weekend. Well, the thing, here's the story. (laughs) Um, So we finally are, we're finally, we were friends. We were friends for years, but and nothing more because I didn't want to date him because he was working out. He practically lived in Houston and he would only come visit on the weekends. And I'm like, yeah, no. Um, so we finally decided to start dating. We have one real date. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I think, I think I like this guy. He talks a lot, but I still like him. Not much has changed. Now, the fact that he talked a lot was pretty uh, pretty good because I, I, I remember being in his truck going, man, we're never going to have a, you know, a lack of conversation because he talks a lot. <laughs> anyway, after that date, uh, he says, okay, well, next weekend we're going to have a date. I'm going to take you out. I'm going to date. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and whatever, whatever. And we were going to go to this to see this band. Okay. He says, but I have to go do something and I'll come pick you up at what, five o'clock or seven o'clock or whatever it was. Hmm. Didn't hear from him. Didn't hear from him. Didn't hear from him. I'm mad. I'm very mad. The later it got, the madder I got. And I said, you know what? I wanted to go see this band. It was just a little band downtown San Antonio. It was friends of mine. I'm going by myself. So I did. I was terrified. I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to go out after dark. Nothing. But I did it anyway because I was mad. And I had a cell phone then. It was a long time ago. But I had a cell phone and I turned it off because I was mad. And... By the time the evening was over, which was probably 1030 or something, because I just I just can't hang. I really can't. Got in the car, had 33 missed calls. I think that's a little bit of an exaggeration. It's not an exaggeration. (laughs) And I was not going to call him back because I was still mad. (laughs) And not not five minutes after I turned my phone back on, it rings and I'm mad. And he says, let me come over. I want to talk to you. Nope. Mm-mm, nope. Well, I need to talk to you. Nope. Mm-mm, nope. You stood me up. 
I'm not talking to you ever again. Years I've known you. We finally start dating and you do this. And he had some cockamamie story about it was no not. reception and having a flat tire or something. I don't know what, but I wasn't having it. I could have been dead on the side of the road. We but had a blowout on the tractor. You didn't die. The tractor had a blowout had in a the date. pasture. We had a date. <laughs> and I couldn't get out. I didn't have cell coverage. Back then we had the big blah, brick phones. Anyway. So anyway, <laughs> I said, nope, this conversation's over. <laughs> and the next day, this man shows up and never leaves. That's how it Literally. happened. Literally. He wouldn't leave. I think he was afraid if he left, I was never going to let him come back. <clears throat> Which I tried that a couple of times yeah, too. Yeah, that didn't work. Um, you know, it, I didn't have a relationship with Christ at that time. I I knew that when things got tough, um, the way I was, and I'm not saying that that's the Catholic. I'm just saying that the way I was raised, the best that my parents knew, uh, when things got bad, that's when you grabbed God off the shelf, mm-hmm. and you're like, "Please help me." So that was the extent of my relationship with Christ. I prayed about this, and a lot happened in those in those first few months. We did see a lot of each other. I was every time I'd come home. I was living at my mom's at the time, so I moved in with Connie. Come home, uh, we'd hang out for the weekend, and then I'd go back to work on Monday, uh, and we did that for for quite some time, um, and still. There's no uh, bond. There's no relationship, um, physical, but that's about it. And so we uh, we just kind of kept doing that until one Christmas we couldn't do it anymore. Uh, Connie used to be really sick. She used to not eat meat, and she would be hypo. Was it hypokalemic? Hypoglycemic, yeah. Hypokalemic. Yeah, that we put her in a hospital three or four times a year because uh, she'd almost die uh, from low potassium. And this one year, she got sick right before Christmas. I was actually in Houston, and I didn't get sick. That's not true. Well, I tried to take my life, and that's not something that um, I talk about. I don't talk about a lot of things. I don't like to talk. I don't like to be the center of attention. I don't. We're total opposites. He loves to be in the spotlight and I hate the spotlight. I'd rather be in the, you know, turn off the light. Um, But I tried to take my life. I was sick a lot. I weighed less than 100 pounds. I had, I felt like I had the weight of the world on my shoulders, which I was trying, uh, I thought I could, I was trying to control my own life and, you know, doing what people do. I had two daughters. Um, I had a stepdad that was very, very sick and he was, I was watching him die in my home, in his home that he sold to me. Um, And I was tired. I was just very tired. I did have to go in the hospital. Seemed like, seemed like once a month. Um, I was anorexic. 
um, which I've totally defeated now. You can see <laughs> that I am no longer anorexic. Um, I don't remember a whole lot about that. What I do know is that I decided that my life was over, but Christ didn't. He said, no, <laughs> it's not over uh, because I say it's not over. And I, I do want to talk about that because um, and we talked about this beforehand and what, <clears throat> I didn't just spring these things up on her. Uh, but we did agree that we would talk about what she wanted to and not talk about what she didn't want to. So uh, I wasn't going to bring that up unless she did. And it, I'm glad she did because it's really important. I always tell people, you never know what's going to come out of your mouth that God has marked for somebody else. You just don't know. You don't know what you're going to say or what you're going to do, how one little act of kindness could keep somebody from, from doing something that they or shouldn't. Or one little act of cruelty. Or one little act could of cruelty. push someone. And so she tried to kill herself this right before Christmas. I was working in Houston uh, when I got the call from my mom, I think. And I drove from the Woodlands in Houston, those of you who know where that's at, to Methodist downtown in about two hours. Um, I had that truck, I mean, as fast as it would possibly go. And so this is the first time that, I mean, you read about miracles, you hear about miracles. I never really thought about what a miracle is until I walked into that ER that day. And I told a lady who I was there to see, and she said, hold on a minute. And this doctor comes out and asks, calls me by name, and I'm like, this is not good. And so he calls me into a room, and I'm thinking, well, she's she didn't make it. She's gone. And he asked me in that room if I believed in God. And it's not what doctors normally do. They normally don't ask you if you believe in God, right? They want to give you science. And so this doctor asked me if I, now at that time, again, I'm not saved yet. I'm not, I don't have a relationship with Christ, but I know who God is. In my mind, growing up Catholic, going to church every Sunday, going to catechism, I know God. I know him. And you knew Jesus died on the cross. I did. For your sins. I did. But you didn't know that there was an exchange. I didn't know that. That, you know, forgiveness. And yeah. And you so. You thought forgiveness meant going into confession, confession. confessing your sins. And then you're all good. Doing and a penance. Some, some yeah. Hail Marys and that. Right. Um, That's what I knew. understand. I didn't understand. But when he asked me, I was like, of course I know. Of course I believe in God. What's wrong with you? You know? And his words were, and I don't remember them exactly, but it was something to the fact of, I can show you all of the medical science of why your wife should be dead right now. I don't have an earthly answer as to why she's alive, except that God's not done with her. And I, I didn't, I didn't know how to process that. I, I didn't understand, like, I've read about these things in the Bible. I know they're in there, but that doesn't happen anymore. God doesn't do miracles anymore. He doesn't work in people's lives. Hmm. Boy, we were in for, and, and, you know, that was a turning point for us. It wasn't a great turning point, no, mm -mm. but it was definitely a point of pivot for our marriage. Wasn't for the better for a long time, but God works in his time. He does. 
So they put her on a hold and we finally get her out. And the following Sunday, I said, tomorrow we're going to get dressed and we're going to go to a friend of mine's church, Casterville. She's like, no, I'm not going. All right. I was angry. I was tired. I was still sick. I, I had a, so if you know me, you may or may not know that I have something wrong. It's an autoimmune thing. I don't claim it as, as a disease. <laughs> I, oh, uh, anyway, uh, I'm in a lot of pain, a lot. I don't, um, I try not to talk about it. I try not to let it control me. Um, but I was tired of that constant pain and piling on more meds and more meds and more meds. And then my stepdad was dying and I, you know, um, just life, life was tough. I had two teenagers and that's a, that's a ride in its own. <clears throat> my girls are awesome. Um, they're great. Back then, they didn't like great. Jr. <laughs> but they, I don't think they liked anybody back then. They had daggers for Jr. They had daggers for me. But I think that's normal. No. You know, a, the stepdad is not always the most welcome figure. No. Um, especially when he comes into a home with teenage girls, you know, trying to uh, bring law and order. Um, but <laughs> I, I remember that conversation too, because Connie said, I want you to, and I still didn't. Now she was already talking about things that she knew to be biblical that I didn't. She's like, you need to be the priest of our home. You need to be the leader of our home. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I was in the military. I can do this. I can take charge. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. No. And when you try to put that kind of pressure on teenage girls who, you know, but, you're not their dad. But also... You were not, you were, you were authoritative, but um, you were not the spiritual leader. No, not in any way, shape or form. Not in any way, shape. So. No, I and I didn't know what that meant yet. It was years later, but we, a couple of Sundays went by and I told her, listen, you either get dressed and we're going to go to church or I'm going to pack my bags and I'm, I'm done with this. We're either going to live a biblical life or we're not. And I didn't know what that meant. I think at some point when we decided to get married, I told her, I said, make sure that you understand that this is forever. Like I'm not doing this again. We're, if we're going to, and I did, I think at that time I actually read the part uh, in the Bible that says, uh, let no man take apart what God has brought together. And I took that to heart and I didn't know God was already working on me. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know it. I had no clue. Uh, that those decisions that I made, the decisions over the many years that we spent together not to run, not to just cut and run, which, trust me, I wanted to do many times. But that decision to stick with it had nothing to do with me. No. Zero. No, if I had it my way, we'd have been divorced a long time ago. Oh, yeah. Um, I have zero patience. Um I, I don't, I don't express my emotions. I'm not affectionate. Um, I don't like to talk. Um, <laughs> you can disagree with me all day. Keep your disagreement. That's fine. But I'm not going to tell you how I feel. Um, 
Yeah, not a, haven't been a great partner. <laughs> well, I can tell you that we were pretty crappy to each other for a number of years. Uh, downright ugly, pretty much living our own lives in the same house. Uh, Wishing the other one would leave. Yeah, just waiting for, you know, um, every time I, I thought, okay, this is the last straw. I've had enough with this, you know, and I'm going to go. And then I just, I prayed. And I, again, I didn't know. I didn't know even how to pray back then. Doesn't matter. God knows. He knows what's on our hearts. Um, but we struggled for 12 or 13 years mm -hmm. through some nasty, hateful, how bad can I hurt you stuff mm -hmm. for a long time. Um, it was almost, you know, the one upper. All right. Well, that, that stung pretty bad. You know what? I'm going to get you back. You just wait. Uh, and that's kind of the life we lived mm -hmm. for a long period of time. And so there were good times, don't get me wrong. We had good times, right? Because it's almost impossible to live that long. Because mm -hmm. we do like to do a lot of things. That we love to travel. Mm -hmm. uh, we love animals. Uh, you know, we moved out to the country, which was a big deal because it fits both of us perfectly. I will tell you, the day that we put our house on the market, we lived in the we lived in a really rough area of San Antonio it by St. Mary Magdalene's. A, it wasn't always a rough area. It, no, it but it, it got nice. that way. Yeah, and and the homes there were there were eight homes for sale on our street, and our house needed a lot of repair. Mm -hmm. It was old. It was old, and we hadn't done anything because Connie didn't want to disturb anything while Lewis was still alive. Because he had, uh, he was in really really bad health and. There, we knew there was mold. We knew that it just had a lot of a lot of issues, um, but we couldn't really work on anything because it would affect his breathing. Now I understand because we have the door open right now because I have asthma, <laughs> and the smell of the coffee in here uh, <clears throat> bothers my breathing. So smoke, I yeah. get it now. But we uh, we after he passed, we we did some repairs to the house. We had always talked about, well, it's probably a childhood dream of mine because I grew up in a family that was all from the country. And my my in my mind, my goal in life was to live out on a farm somewhere with horses and dogs and chickens and all this stuff, right? Which, which we have now. <laughs> but that, and that wasn't by design, but I knew that we wanted to get out of the city. The city was driving me nuts. Uh, they were, they graffitied our vehicles in our driveway. They stole uh, your trailer. They trailer. stole my, my welding machine on the trailer. Um, all kinds of craziness. I mean, I used to literally cut the grass with my gun on my hip so that people could see it. So they would stay away from the house. We had a great big old German shepherd that looked like he would rip your arm off, but he was, he was a big he was old, scared of he was scared of everybody. And so anyway, we decided. And I think in her, she was just being agreeable. Mm -hmm. But I said, as soon as the kids graduate, we're going to move out to the country. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they graduated, and I called the lady, and we put the house on the market. And she was still like, yeah, okay, whatever, here. Well, I didn't think anybody was going to buy it. Yeah, she didn't because of the area we were in, the house needed repair. And there were so many others that had, for sale right next to us. And on some the of them had been block. renovated. Yeah. 
So we never thought, now again, God, God's the undertone of all of this. He's in control of everything. We put the house on sale Monday, Monday morning. And by Thursday, we had we, a contract. We had a full price <laughs> offer. They didn't haggle or anything. And then I was mad again. Oh yeah. And we were I driving, so we were driving back from somewhere. I think we went to go sign the papers with the, with the Brittany. lady, with Brittany to look for the new place. And we had 30 days or we had 60 days to get out of the house that we were in. And uh, it hit Connie coming home like, that's my house. That's and I my have, security. I have to get out of it. Yeah. The house wasn't, it was nothing special. It was not, it was tiny. It was 900 square feet. Um, but it was the last house I had with where my mother and my stepdad, my dad died when I was 20 years old, but my stepdad, he died in that house. I raised my girls in that house and it was mine. It was in my name. Not <laughs> everybody that she dated or whatever in between, that was always her. That was my That house. was her castle. That was her fallback. So when everything went wrong, she could be like, see ya. I got a house. Mm -hmm. Well, now I took that away from her. I sold it. Literally. I mean, like in three days. And so that was another, yeah. you know. That was a huge pride issue. Point of friction. Yeah. To say the least. Uh, that's when I realized I didn't like it and it didn't change anything for me. I was still mad about it for a very long time, but that's when I really realized that I wasn't in a marriage. <laughs> we were in a business big old mess deal we or something. Yeah, it, it was it was a mess. And um, we moved out to Seguin with some we some friends that had a rent house or a guest house. Guest house. And so we rented that for a little while. Uh, on the same street that we're on now, we found this place. Uh, I found it one night at work. I found it and I told Connie, you got to go look at this. And we took one look at it and we called uh, the lady. It took me like weeks to get a hold of her because I kept sending her messages and nobody responded. Finally, this lady responds and I told her, look, lady, here's the thing. And again, I'm still not saved. I'm still checking boxes thinking. I will tell you one thing that happened after when we did finally start going to church. We went to a Pentecostal church. Going from Catholic to Pentecostal, woo, let me tell you, I was not okay most of the time. But what that church but made me do, a lot. it did. That church made me read my Bible. And the more I read my Bible, the more I realized there were problems where we were at. And so we moved around. We finally ended up at Buckner Fanning's church. He was already retired, but that's the church where Trinity Baptist in San Antonio. And then when we moved out to Seguin, we spent years just hopping from church to church going trying to, to find a place that suited us that called to call home now we finally i was training at that time i was training for triathlon and i used to meet a friend of mine in Cibolo on 78 and we would meet at the post office and we'd run down 78 to the valero which was like i don't know seven or eight miles and then we turn around and run back that was our our exercise well this place I kept running by was on the right-hand side. I just kept going by, kept going by. And 
then later on when I started riding my bike, when I bought my bike and I started riding my bicycle, that was the same route I took. I, and actually the place where we go to church now, the country church, was actually the place where me and my friend would stop, change bottles out, take a rest, and then and never, never even thought about it. Never even, it never registered. And so those of you who know me know that I, I have a passion for veterans. And so I was doing a lot of stuff with this organization I was with. And one one day coming out of the Walmart in Seguin on a marquee, I saw, you know, combat veteran to preach on Sunday. And I told Connie, hey, we're going to go to this church Sunday because we hadn't been to that one. And so in the, the one right across from Walmart. Oh, yeah. I forget what it's called, but we were going to go there. Yeah, I think Joel Levada's down the street. That's his church. So we, we were going to go there Sunday. And I woke up. You talk about God doing things and, and guiding you if you just are a little bit open. And I didn't think I was open at all, but apparently I was. I woke up about four o'clock in the morning. I rolled over, grabbed my iPad, and I started looking the church that I had been passing up for the last year. That's not close to us. It's not close to us. And I, I, I woke Kanye up and I said, hey, this is where we're going to church today. And I don't know why, but that's where we're going. And she looked at it. She goes, oh, that's a Baptist church. So they probably have Sunday school at 915 and, and church at 10. And so we found the website and sure enough, you know, so we got dressed and we went to go visit. And uh, I'll let her tell it because it's, it's just, it's, it was the start of something that God was doing, that he was moving us. Yeah. Now that was 20, dad, 12, so 15, 13, 2013. 2015? Yeah. Okay. 2015. Yeah. That sounds right. So we went there in December 2015. I'll let you talk about the first day we went there. Oh. Because I don't know. Catholics don't know nothing about going up to the altar. It, uh, we, I, we just, we felt like we were home. And at the end... He'd never been through an invitation or anything. And um, the invitation started and I grabbed his hand and I said, we're good. Come on. And he was like, what are we doing? And I said, <laughs> we're joining the church because we had both, we had both kind of expressed during the service. Uh, this is, this is the one, this is our church. Yep. And so um, brother Butch Eichels <laughs> is uh he is a man of God. You talk about how God works in his time and the way he wants to do things. We went up there and pastor said, uh, he said, that was quick. That Cause, so yeah, because that morning uh, when you show up, the first class you go to is a pastor's class for mm -hmm. Sunday school. So we went into his, we were in his Sunday school that morning. And he said, well, it took y'all so long. And Connie <laughs> said, when you know, you know. <laughs> yeah. Now, we didn't know until a couple of years down the road that that's like one of Pastor Butch's favorite sayings. He when loves you know. to say from the pulpit, when, when you, you know, know, you know. And so uh, we joined the church that day. Mm -hmm. And he says, are y'all, you know, now at that Pentecostal church, I got baptized because I didn't know any better. I thought, you know, they, 
I'm not going to get into all that, but I'm just going to say that that I got baptized at that church and I thought that I had all the boxes checked. And so when we went up there and joined the church, you know, they asked us if we were saved and identified. Yes, we are. And we're baptized and we just want to join the church. And Mm -hmm. so we did. So a little bit in the middle of 2015, dad was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. It was inoperable. It was uh, and my dad, for those of you who knew my dad, he pulled us all together on on Father's Day and told us, I got the cancer and I'm not doing any of that effing radiation or any of that GD chemotherapy. When the good Lord takes me, the good Lord's going to take me. And that was my dad, if y'all, if y'all didn't know him. And so um, he was asymptomatic for the longest time. We joined the church in December. And I remember that following year in 2016, my dad said, hey, what do you want for your birthday? Which is in February. It's in February, February 10th. And it was easy because I was at this new church. I loved it. I'd never, you know, been around people like that before. And I told dad, I want you to go to church with us. And he's like, wow, I'm not going to do that, but I'll go eat with you afterwards. (laughs) Okay. So we're at Sunday school this morning, this one morning in February, and I think my mom called you. Yeah. I think mom called Connie and said, hey, we're here. And Connie's like, hey, you need to get out there and get your dad to sanctuary before he changes his mind because he'll leave. And so, so I went and got dad and I took him up to the front and we sat down and uh, I guess pastor asked Connie what's going on, you know. And so Connie kind of filled pastor in that my dad, you know, was there and he didn't want to be there. And so, uh, you know, we started service that morning and first thing we do is, you know, turn over to somebody and shake Shake their hand, say hi. Well, pastor came off the pulpit and went straight to my dad and shook his hand and, you know, and just a little bit of conversation. And so uh, we went to eat afterwards, like, you know, like we we always did. And and um, dad started asking, hey, I want that guy's email. I really like that guy. So what do you have to uh, pay? What do y'all pay what do, monthly? What do y'all have to pay monthly to be at this church? And we were like, what? Yeah. Hey, he said, yeah. Uh, so I don't know. It was it was funny because uh, because like, there's no there's no like they, they didn't do a offering where they are they don't pass a plate. We don't pass a plate. There's a box in the back, and we do online giving. Yeah. What? And that's it. What you give is between you and God. Yes. And so, so we, uh, he asked us how much we had to pay to go to that church. And so we laughed and we're like, dad, we just tithe, you know, when we, we, we tithe on our own and, but you don't have to give anything. Yeah. So you don't have to give anything. And I said, and so anyway, um, what it is email, he wanted pastor Butch's email cause he wanted to send him a message and tell him, um, how much he, and by this time I'm, I kind of have, it's not that I knew what it meant to be saved. It's not that I knew what the Bible said about seeing your family again, about seeing each other again. It had nothing to do with that. Uh, I was where I was supposed to be for one. I was exactly where I was supposed to be for what God was going to do to me in the, in the following year. And so um, I told pastor, listen, I, cause in my mind, I was a good guy. I didn't, I've never hurt anybody. I didn't steal money from anybody. I wasn't, you know, I put money in the plate, you know, when I went to church. Uh, I I saw myself as a good person. 
So that should be enough. So that's enough, right? And so I saw myself as, well, you know, but my dad, ooh, my dad's a handful, drinks a lot, cusses a lot, smokes like a chimney, you know, Mm -hmm. just rough around the edges. And so I told pastor, I really want you to come talk to my dad. You know, he really liked the sermon uh, and, and I want you to come talk to him. And again, dad is still asymptomatic. The day that Pastor Butch was going to come talk to Dad was the first time we took Dad to the hospital, to the emergency room, okay. and so we went to the hospital. He couldn't, he couldn't breathe, couldn't swallow, and uh, we get to the hospital and we're there for a couple of days. And my sister, you know, is like, "Hey, Dad, I can go get the," or my mom says, "Let me go get the priest," because they're freaking out already. They they're sure this is the end of it, and uh, we didn't know how much time we had left. You know, my dad was so strong. I never expected him to go. But um, we, <laughs> we, my sis- sister says, my dad says, no, I don't want to talk to a priest. And my sister, who's really, really smart, she's like, dad, the, you know, the hospital has lay people that are not associated with any church and they can come talk to you. And uh, my dad looks me square in the eyes and he says, no. But I'll talk to a military chaplain, but he has to be a colonel or better. Well, those of you who are military, you know that finding a colonel who's a chaplain is like finding a white elephant, you know, in downtown San Antonio. It's just not going to happen. I mean, those guys are either at the Pentagon or they're in combat zones. And so I, uh, <laughs> I told Pastor what Dad said, and he's like, don't worry about it. And so a couple of days later, dad's home. And by this time we had already bought dad a Bible and I wrote something in it. Connie wrote something in it. Pastor wrote something in it and we gave it to my dad. And my mom had already called me and said, Hey, uh, your dad's reading the Bible y'all gave him. (laughs) And I said, mom, don't even let him know that, you know, leave him alone. And so dad kept asking me for pastor's information. And so pastor comes over to the house and I'll cut all this down to, to one sentence because it's a it's a really neat story. But pastor came over to the house. They ran me out. He walks in. Now, if you knew my dad, all of you, anybody who knows my dad, my dad was the kind of guy who punched in the nose first just, just for effect, just for effect. So pastor walks in and he says, hey, Joe, uh, Jr. says that you don't want to talk to anybody unless they're a colonel or better. And my dad immediately pops right back. He said, well, that's exactly what I told him. And I'm thinking, this is not going to go well. And so uh, pastor looks at my dad. He says, well, that's good, Joe, because I'm a general. And my dad looked at him and and uh, Butch said, because my dad said, oh. And pastor said, yeah, I'm a general in God's army. And there, you could have heard a pin drop. And my dad looked at me, looked at him. And he said, well, have a seat, General. And then Pastor and him both looked at me like, okay, you know. You can go. Now. You can go now. And so I closed the door. And and I found out later because I was too much going on. But Pastor came out of the room. He prayed with us, the family, me and my sister, my mom. And then he left. And then, you know, I found later when I had a conversation with Butch, he told me, uh, he goes, if, what do you want to know? And I said, I want to know if I'm going to see my dad again. And he said, yes, you absolutely are. And so dad prayed to receive Christ that day. Then he got really sick. Yeah. And right. he died like two weeks later. Yep. Just like that. So 
that year after dad died, I spent almost every day at my mom's because something was broke. And, you know, dad was not a carpenter. Dad was not a plumber. Dad was not an electrician. Dad was not a mechanic, but he did all of them. And so I spent a lot of time in that first year um, going back and forth. This is where our marriage really changed. In that year after dad died, I spent some time with John Mitten, who's a pastor at Everyday Christian now. He was at our church at that time. And I told him that I was having a hard time with my dad's loss because I I didn't know, again, growing up Catholic, I didn't read my Bible. I didn't know what to believe. I didn't know what we were doing or what I was supposed to be doing. And John put it like he broke it down Barney style, man, first grade level. He's like, you either believe what the Bible says or you don't. It's that simple. And the Bible says that we will see each other mm-hmm. again. And so that was a turning point. Sometime in the next few months, I surrendered my life to Christ completely. And then I started hanging around people that could mentor me and help me understand what that meant. And that was when I took my place in our home, took my place in our marriage. We'd been married for 12 years already, and we were just downright nasty to each other. Now, most people... They don't stay married that long. They get divorced. How do you recover? JR would not leave. I wouldn't leave. He would not leave. I have too much stuff. And so it would be really hard to get all my stuff and and leave. But um, that's just such a huge testimony for Connie and I because. It has nothing to do with us, though. It doesn't. And, And we're not. We can't even try to make you understand how ugly we were to each other. Still living in the same home, still going through the same motions. Um, I think it got worse when all the kids were gone and it was just me and her. Yeah. And the dolls, because then she, but there's no distractions. None. You have to look at each other. <laughs> you have to have dinner sometimes together. It was rough. And so, um, but God started doing things. And I started noticing first time that my wife looked at me in a way that just swelled my heart. We were 12 years in before my wife fell in love with me. And before I truly understood what it meant to love her, Mm -hmm. how I was supposed to love her, how I was supposed to take charge of my home and my family and how I was supposed to be that leader. I didn't know what those things meant. You know, and it was just um, was such a huge turning point. And it's not that we don't have problems. We, no, st- we still do. we still have problems. But we know God's in control. We do. And we don't have to figure it out. That's right. Um, we have to let him deal with us. Um, most of the arguments and... Um, the walls that we put up stem from pride. Yeah. I don't like being told what to do. (laughs) If you tell me you cannot cross this line, you better believe that's the only thing I'm going to want to do. I want to cross that line. I'm going to cross that line. Uh, That's human nature. Um, More so for, you know, a woman who, uh, not any uh, woman, but my woman who dealt with a lot 
of adversity before I ever met her. And I didn't understand those things either. I didn't know how to be considerate, uh, you know, to some of the, the trauma that she's had in her life. Um, I didn't know how to be a, a husband, a, a biblical husband. I didn't know how to be a biblical <clears throat> husband to my wife. And so, um, yeah, there was a lot of, <laughs> a lot of this for a lot of years. Uh, and we're still learning. Mm-hmm. We're still learning. But what a journey that God started so long before um, we were able to even see a blessing. Yeah. You know, it's just been pretty amazing. Do we have any questions or anything? I don't know if I can see everything. So uh, one thing that Jared talks about a lot on his podcast, um, if you see a shivering, it's because the door's open because I can't breathe in here. But uh, one thing Jr. talks about a lot is, um, can you see? Mike said, "Let let you talk." That was a dude. long time ago. Oh, okay. Um, he talks about um, veterans, soldiers, and suicide. I have the greatest respect for veterans, or for our military, but. Um, there are a lot of people that have a lot of hurt and no hope. And when you lose that hope, doesn't matter who you are, um, that dark hole, that pit, um, is the same for all of us. Um, so find someone to talk you out of that pit. Um, to get on their knees with you. It's a scary, awful place to be. And the longer you stay in that pit, the harder it is to get out. Get on your knees. Get your Bible open. Tell God to pick you up. uh, Because you can't pick yourself up. Uh, I do think it's important for to talk to um, a a professional professional. I can't really say family members because um, we don't all have the same families. Um, And a lot of people will say, so here's an example. Um, I told a physician that I was struggling and that I didn't feel like getting out of the bed, that I didn't feel like going to work, that... um, the things that I enjoyed, I didn't enjoy anymore, that something was wrong. And this physician told me, find something that makes you happy. So wouldn't it be great if it was that easy? Um, <laughs> yeah. It, it, um... So my advice is if you know you are prone to teetering on the edge of the pit, <laughs> which to this day I am, um, talk to someone who is a Christian and who is a professional, both of those things. Cause if it's just a professional, 
they're going to give you medicine, which I'm not against medicine. I'm on medicine. I, I, I take medicine. Um, but you have to have God lifting you up spiritually because the medicine is just going to numb you. And I've been numb most of my life since yep. that happened. Um, but uh, don't stay willingly on the edge of the pit. <laughs> fight it. Fight it. Find somebody to fight it with you. Yes. Somebody to fight with you. Oh. <laughs> uh, not with you, but with, anyway. Uh, I, I, I will tell you this, that our experience has taught me a lot about how blessed we really are and how I think how little today people recognize that. And our purpose in life is to glorify God. That's what we're supposed to do. And I know for a fact and yes, Connie's right about the veteran stuff. You know, yes, I, I lean that way. But the fact is, there's a lot of first responders. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of medical people. There's a lot of people in general, like Connie, who grew up, you know, depressed, who had these issues, had a lot of trauma in her life. And it. I don't care if you're a veteran or not. You know, that is something that I know we can all do a better job of. Uh, helping those who, who have mental health issues. Um, I've had to learn because I didn't understand it. I, I'm like, suck it up. Let's go. I mean, that's, that's how what I was got, raised. What have you got to be sad about? Yeah. You have so many good things in your life. What have you got to be sad about? I'm not sad. Yeah. I feel, I don't feel sadness. <laughs> you no. know, it's something that I can't explain that I, no. I don't even care to explain. It's just something that, that, one of, one of my many imperfections. Yeah. But God. And COVID for our first responders Oof. and uh, military first responders, hospital workers, you know, COVID didn't do anybody any favors. I don't care which political side of the scale you're on. Um, COVID divided so many people because it was so politicized. Um, you know, yeah. some of us did our jobs. If you don't know, I'm an epidemiologist. I work for a public health department. And I was public enemy number one uh, a lot of the times. Um, it was, honestly, I kid you not, people are not allowed to come see me at my office because of... Threats and... Threats and hate mail all and... All kinds of and what, nastiness. Whatnot. Um so there, there's no, there's no glamour in, <laughs> in no. public health after no. COVID and COVID's not the only thing we do, you know, yeah. um, yeah. we, our job is to help people and to educate people and to prevent the spread of disease. And we've dodged bullets for the past three years now. Um, and that can take a toll on you. I know that, um, We've seen a lot of depression and suicide in people that stayed working through the pandemic because their job that they took pride in and they loved and they had a passion about wasn't uh, what they 
needed it to be or what they had wanted it to be or what it was supposed to be it went off the rails during this pandemic yeah. um, that's nobody's fault no but you know i i had a friend uh, I, I still have a friend and one of the things that he always wanted to do was get a, a, a like a group for guys that had ptsd on the military side but this works for for anybody who's got issues with whatever and it was always instead of always going for the pharmaceutics reach out and grab a bible because i promise you there is nothing that god can't fix that's not to say that that meds aren't useful connie said she still takes meds and she she knows that she, you know listen when paul got blinded after god struck him down because he was killing christians for those of you who know your scripture, you know that he went and got a doctor and that doctor stayed with him for the rest of his life. Luke. Luke ended up writing most of the New Testament for Paul. But it just, God gave us doctors for a reason. He gives us these things. So I'm not saying not to use them, but you really should focus your attention, your time, to God first and then let everything fall in place. I'll tell you that when Connie tried to kill herself, she came home once she planted her feet firmly in the ground and she took all the meds that the doctors for years had been giving her over medicating her and she threw it all in the garbage. Yeah. Not a good idea. Don't do that. I don't do that. I do not recommend that at all. No, but she was able to get off a large number of those medications and she just takes what she needs now. And so that's what I'm saying. You can take what you need, but as long as you have God in that very first position. And I tell people all the time, I even made a post on Facebook that Connie is my second most important mm -hmm. thing in my life. And I don't ever want that first position because the minute you put me first, you have to put God somewhere else. And that's, that's right. not where that's not where he belongs. That's right. And uh, I have I had some string I was going to show it earlier, but what I always tell people is that let's say your whole life is hanging on these two strings, everything in your life, your job, your family, your kids, your everything is hanging on these two strings and they're separated and you grab them from the middle and you pull straight up when you the closer you get to God, mm -hmm. everything will just come right in together. Yeah. So that does not mean that everything gets all rosy and no, 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 it doesn't. But when you put God in his place, which is number one, he has a way of working things out for, for you the good to live. Who love him. That's right. Exactly. Doesn't mean it's easy. God never said, Hey, you know, follow me and it's all going to be good and wonderful <laughs> and roses Quite and the opposite. and whatever. That's not true at all. The devil comes for you like nobody's business. And the closer you get to God, the harder the devil comes. And if he can't get you, he's, he's going to get, get your, your wife. Kids. He's going to get your or, kids, mm -hmm. your job, your, your anything. He will come gunning. So don't think for a second that, that that's not real because it is. it is. And I'm just really blessed to have a partner that loves God as much as I do, that puts God first before me. And, and I, I do the same thing. I tell you all the time, it's God first and then my mm -hmm. wife 
And then everything else comes in a distant third. That means my kids, my house, my job, all of it comes in a distant third because God, my spouse, and then everything else. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I don't know where we're at. We are at eight. We're, we're ten. at 10 minutes over. So that's perfect. Um, final thoughts. Give us some wisdom. Oh, that was all of my wisdom. That was mm -hmm. it? Yeah. That's it for the, for the year. Yeah. Forever. Mm -hmm. So if you're interested, I don't like being in front of the camera. I would just assume nobody ever see my face. But I think it's important that um, when JR shares this time, that it's not just limited to a bunch of guys talking about, you know, whatever. Um, you know, we've had some, he's had some very interesting women in their business um, or in their ministry on the show. And I think that from now on, we might do the podcast together so that you get another perspective, another voice. Um, She's a lot so um, if you have topics that you want to discuss, whether it's biblical, um, if you have, uh, if you want to be on the podcast, um, you don't have to come here. Um, we can do a what is that called? I'm I'm don't I don't do technology very well. We can do a, a Zoom, a live yes, video called Streamyard. So um, what I use. So things like that. You know, we don't all think the same thing. Like I'm a huge animal advocate, and some people say you like animals more than you like people. Yeah, maybe so. But we all <laughs> have different interests because if we all cared about the exact same thing. Nobody would care about the other things. So if you have a, a topic that you want to discuss on the podcast or ideas or something like that, let us know. Absolutely. And I love having her. She's the one time that she's been on. She's a great co-host. She's a lot smarter than I am so that she's able to give you a different perspective. Plus her perspective in life in general from a first responder, you know, gives her a total different, you know, realm of, of perspective. And I, I'm going to tell you this because I think it's hilarious. I should have brought it up earlier, but I just want you to know that our first real date, our oh, first, brother. Connie was a card toting member of PETA. Okay. She was going to march. I was not. That is not true at all. Well, you say that whatever. all the time. I was never going to march okay. down Broadway. Anyway. She is a card-toting member of PETA, and I don't mean the people eating tasty animals. I mean the other one. And when I met her at our first date. I was a vegetarian, too. And she was a vegetarian. a vegetarian for many, many, many years. <laughs> and my our first date was with my friend Teddy and his wife, Katie, and we all went to the Hunter's Extravaganza at Freeman Coliseum. And we're walking oh, out. Yeah. And we're walking out, and, and Katie's giving Connie the... She's giving her the grill. She's like, listen, I hope you know what you're getting into because you're not going to see these guys from November till February because when they're not hunt. working, they're going to be hunting. Yeah, and so she's she's really talking it up more than I cared, but it, it was funny. And so I go back to Houston for the week and Ted's like, hey, man, my grandpa got us tickets for the uh, Friends of the NRA wild game dinner at Leon Springs. And I'm like, he goes, uh, you want to go? I said, I got extra ticket, two tickets yeah. for you. And I'm like, yeah. And so I called Connie. That's a great idea. I called Connie and I was like, I said, hey, you want to go out with me again? 
And she's like, where are we going? I said, well, that's not what I asked you. What I asked you was, do you want to go out with me again? And she's like, okay. Okay. So I said, great. I'll pick you up at six. So there I go taking the car. He actually showed up this time. I did on time. The card toting member of PETA, I take to the friends of the NRA while game dinner in Leon Springs. People are smoking cigars and getting drunk and there's, Nothing on the table Except, is not wild game. Oh. None of it. It's all shark and quail and deer and, pig, and you name it. It's there. So we leave <laughs> and it's quiet in the car. I mean, really quiet. And I'm like, well, m- maybe that didn't go as, as planned. Uh, and about halfway home, she's like, here's how it's going to work. I don't want to see deer hanging from my trees. I don't want to see any meat or carcasses or anything you bring it home like it looks like when it comes from heb and then we'll figure it out and so, so he would he would call me don't come home <laughs> yeah. don't come home yet i'll let you know when it's safe but i thought that was that was funny because that's learning to adjust and bend and give and understand and i'm gonna tell you today Connie will take a nasty 200, 300 pound Russian boar that stinks the high heavens and she'll make it taste like it's the highest dollar cut of pork you can get from the butcher. I'd rather not. But she knows how to do it. I'd rather eat some carrots and potatoes. Yeah, and she eats, you know, she's had uh, venison and, and so we've completely progressed from, from those dark days of pita. <laughs> But uh, anyway, I love you guys. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you, my beautiful bride, for uh, for you know agreeing to this because I've asked her several times. Uh, she's not always been a fan, but it it seems like as we grow in Christ, He just keeps putting things on our hearts. And fortunately for Connie and I, even if we don't agree with whatever's going on or we don't agree with each other, we know not to disagree with God. Uh, the more that we agree with him, the more that we're obedient to what he wants us to do, the more he blesses us. Mm-hmm. And sometimes he blesses us. And I, I don't, I know I don't deserve it. One thing that I want to say, you asked me what my advice or one last thought. When you're thinking about your marriage and your husband or your wife disappoints you over and over and over and over. And you look at him and you think, oh my goodness, this is not the man that I thought he was, I wanted him to be, I hoped he'd be, whatever. Remember, it is not his job to please you. It is his job to please God. And vice versa. <laughs> and vice versa. That so it doesn't matter a tough that he's not a perfect man. I'm not a perfect woman. It matters, am I serving Christ? Am I living in a way that pleases Christ? You know, he's not going to be happy with me all the time. And I'm not going to be happy with him all the time. But when we put God first and each other second, we're on the same page. God takes care of everything. Everything else. Everything else. Yep. So... Like I always end my shop podcast, 
treat each other the way God intended us to treat one another with love, kindness, and respect. If you if you have questions, you need a Bible, you want to talk to somebody, please reach out. Don't don't wait till till you feel like you have no options. God loves you. We love you. And I hope that you'll catch us next week at 1900 for the God Country Coffee Podcast. With both of us. With both of us. Until then, God bless. Have a great weekend.